After a hiatus of a few years, uh, I've gone back to being the principal vegetable gardener in the monastery, and I've gotten a lot of help. I couldn't do it otherwise, but uh, I usually restrict the help to well-defined tasks, and this method of mine is the fruit of experience, um, anxious experience. Helpers in a garden who haven't learned to distinguish between weeds and Swiss chard, or between weeds and mint, weeds and carrot tops, weeds and oregano, uh, can quickly do more damage than good. And this is not only because the mint, oregano, and carrot sprouts disappear, uh, but sometimes when you are overly zealous, if the plants are too close together, you can dislodge a little seedling and damage it beyond repair, even if the damage isn't obvious to someone who's not experienced in gardening. Monastic texts, uh, the monastic history in the church, is full of images taken from gardening and farming. The field of the heart is to be broken up by the gospel plow so that the weeds of the vices can be uprooted and the good seeds of God's word planted there and then can grow into virtues. This sounds easy enough if we are beginning with a relatively fresh field, uh, but in today's world, most, just take monastic life again, most vocations uh, arrive well into their 20s or later, and it turns out that all kinds of strange plants have been growing for a long time in the heart of the average candidate for monastic life. And indeed, we can often find that the best virtues and intentions of a newcomer to the life can be very difficult to distinguish from subtle vices and questionable intentions. If a novice is like me, when I entered, a long time ago now, uh, he enters intending the violent obliteration of every trace of sin and evil from his heart as quickly as possible. But without the tempering influence of experience, this zeal can in fact result in a high level of anxiety. We're concentrating constantly on our own sins and uh, this unenlightened zeal is in danger of turning into what St. Benedict calls the evil zeal that separates from God. As, uh, as we produce more and more anxiety about our own sinfulness, the anxiety itself becomes a pretext for further mistakes and sins. God has rather arranged things so as to permit us to battle with the weediness of our hearts because we learn from the struggle and I think we all know that oftentimes what it takes to change is we have to make the same mistake uh, a certain number of times and reach a kind of critical mass where we're really getting worse before we get the motivation and the insight about ourselves to actually change ourselves. There's a famous exchange to this effect between two desert fathers. Abba Poyman said of Abba John, the dwarf, that he had prayed to God to take his passions away so that he might become free from care. He went and told an old man that he was going to do this. And he said, uh, I find myself in peace without an enemy, said Abba John the dwarf. And the old man said in reply, go, beseech God to stir up warfare so that you may regain the affliction and humility that you used to have. For it is by warfare that the soul makes progress. Now, I've been giving you a spiritualized interpretation of this parable, and it's justified. It's a part of our tradition, as I said. 
uh, but it sort of lets me off the hook a little bit easily because uh, I've sort of changed the topic in a way. Jesus himself interprets the parable for us, and he relates it to specific persons within the church rather than the virtues and vices. Uh, even so, whether we interpret this parable inwardly about our own hearts uh, or exteriorly, pointing to the field of the church, a certain question arises, and the question ultimately goes back to God. Couldn't God uproot the sinner right now before he does harm to us? And obviously God could do so. That he often does not invites us to reflect more carefully. Again, we could say the same thing analogously about our own hearts. If God wanted to, he could give us perfect intentions right now. Uh, but he doesn't, usually. Sometimes he can. We should look uh, for an example when we're looking at the church, to the phenomenon of utopianism, to see what happens when we decide that God isn't doing enough to bring about the good, the perfect world. St. Thomas More, who actually created the word utopia and brought it into the English language, understood something important about such attempts. The Greek word utopos means literally no place. There is no such place. We have in living memory plenty of attempts by revolutionaries to engineer utopias, and we find that they indeed create places that in retrospect we wish had remained fictional. For this zeal again to exterminate evil, given the limits of our human knowledge and awareness of things, tends to end up in the extermination of the good, and that perhaps ultimately leads paradoxically, to the triumph of evil. And again, we see a parallel to the evil zeal that can possess the heart of a young monk that I described above, implicating myself. If, according to Abba Poiman, it is by warfare that the soul makes progress inwardly, perhaps we could say the same with the exterior visible church. I'm sure that very few of us ask God to send us warfare, uh, and especially the warfare that has landed before us in the church in recent decades. But surely it has reminded us that there are real tares, real weeds in the world, even in our midst. The danger for us spiritually is like that of the reapers, uh, or if I could use a, another image from St. Benedict's rule again, by scrubbing the rust and decay out of ourselves or out of the church with too much vigor, we break the vessel. So let us pray today for humble patience and a willingness to wait on God and watch for God. May we resist the utopian option of having the world we want right now while in fact destroying it and choose rather the path of faith and hope in God, praying that this faith will have its reward in God's time.